Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your girl, Ida Rodriguez, and uh, I thank you and welcome to another episode of Truth Serum, where we talk about social issues, political issues, and comedy from the perspective of us. Um, yes, us as people of color, Black people. I'm not afraid to say the word Black. Uh, I think Black is beautiful, and we should be able to say it without whispering it, without pointing to our skin. I'm writing some new jokes about it. And um, I just want to say thank you to all of you who have been watching and been sharing and been encouraging others to watch. Um, today, I am excited about my guest because we are of the same ilk. Uh, we have conversations and we do it straight with no chaser. We're not afraid to stand up for our people and speak directly to those who are trying to hold us down. And for a, an even more profound reason, because I grew up in the church and um, I was never raised to um, believe that I had to be a punk because I was a follower of the word. And so that's where we meet in this interesting place because a lot of people have used um, Christianity as a method to oppress people of color and he ain't here for that. So I want you to welcome um, my guest, Mr. Bishop Talbert Swan, who I uh, I just I just I just rock with all day long. I, I I get up and go to his Instagram page to see who he's checking today. <laughs> How you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. Day at a time. Yeah, to- I love that you. I love your approach to education because what you're doing is educating people who have been miseducated about the word and about who we are. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a process, and um, you know America has really um, done its 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 work in terms of miseducation. You know, one of the seminal books that I always point folks to um, um, uh, is is the Miseducation of the Negro, which is still relevant in this day and in this time. And, uh, and everyone needs a reeducation in terms of what the real story of America actually is. Yes. And you, so how long have you been um, a bishop? I've been a bishop since 2014 um, uh, for six years. I've been a pastor for 26 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, that progression along the lines and final, finally elevation in our denomination uh, to the office of a bishop, which means I oversee a number of churches in a specific geographical area. Um, as well as pastoring um, the church I do here in Massachusetts. I, I was born in Massachusetts. I was born in Boston in um, okay. Brigham Young uh, Women's Hospital. Okay. I still have family there. You know, I think that when, as we talk about dismantling um, white supremacy, which is going to happen, it is the inevitable, right? And a lot of times when we talk about it from a, the perspective of religion, because a lot of these racist people are always using, you know, hiding behind the, the, the banner of Christianity and being evangelicals. And I just I really appreciate the way that you use the word to reeducate them and to dismantle it because you do. How often do you find yourself doing that now? Because it seems like you're doing it on a daily basis. Yeah, well, it's 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 something that is consistent, and it's not just because we we've got um, white evangelicalism um, that is pervasive in in our society. Uh, many black Christians have been brainwashed by white evangelicalism, uh, and they need to be educated as much um, as the rest of the population does. So it's a consistent. Uh, battle in terms of trying to um, deprogram uh, what people have been taught uh, for so many years, um, um, white, black, or, or 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 from any other uh, race or ethnicity um, in America. I, I I liken it and and I call it a whiteized Christianity. When the truth of the matter is, if you are a Christian, uh, the Bible is a book about about black people. Um, and their relationship with their God. And really the only white folks in the Bible are oppressors, the Roman government, et cetera. Um, and they have managed to twist that book um, so that it supports the perpetuation of white supremacy, not just in America, but all over. All of the depictions 
um, our, our white folk because you can't push white supremacy if deity, if the angels, if God, if the people um, who are used by God don't look like they look. And so it's a consistent process all around the board to try to educate people on what Christianity actually means and what Jesus actually stood for. You know what's interesting? I went to Israel a few years ago, and I went to um, I went to the Church of Nativity, and I looked at the artwork, and none of the people on the walls were white. Mm -hmm. All the pictures were, you know, black people, people of color, Joseph, Mary, and it's so interesting how the story has evolved for the purpose of white supremacy, in alliance with the history books. And all of the other tools that they use to continuously implement, um, you know, white supremacy. And it's global. Um, I don't know if you saw the, the video that Benjamin Crump uh, posted of the Frenchman who was killed at the airport while the officer threw up the Nazi sign. And But they killed him the same way they killed George Floyd. Mm. And uh, people, so they were sending it to me because people in Paris were like, this is not just an American issue. It is a global one. Yeah. White supremacy is, is global in scope. Um, and I, I mean, to your point, you know, I've been to Israel and I've seen the artwork. Uh, if you go to Poland, the, the oldest picture of Madonna and child is a black Madonna uh, mm -hmm. and child. Um, they know what it is. But in order, once again, to perpetuate white supremacy, you, you, you had to change that to fit the narrative. Um, and so uh, when you look at France and you look at um, England um, and you look at Poland and you look at the Dutch, you look at all of these colonizing nations who went into Africa and into South America and into the Caribbean, um, um, pushing this narrative of white superiority um, when the majority of the world ascribed to uh, Christian religion, they had to change that. They, 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 they created what was called a slave Bible where they cut out all of the references to liberation or to freedom um, and, and had them reading a Bible that, that taught them to be obedient to your master, to be better tools of service um, and of enslavement. And, you know, this has gone on for centuries. The whole curse of ham myth that mm -hmm. black people descended from uh, Noah's son Ham and, and Hamitic people were cursed. And so it's God's will that you be subservient. This is what they taught us. Uh, and unfortunately, this is what some people still believe to this day. So you, um, let me ask you this because my grandmother was illiterate and the only thing that she knew was scripture. And I was always in awe of her because um, she she understood the word from you know the universal laws right in terms of the spiritual you know like you could never tell my grandmother hey why would you give money to a church if the pastor is going to take the money and buy a new car and my grandmother would say what that pastor does with that money is none of my business um, the me tithing and me uh, giving my offering is my form of, is, is also praise and worship. And that's between me and my God. What they do with their money is this, you're not gonna keep me from getting my blessings because of another man's action. But I remember her saying all the time was, the Bible says, um, better you not be born than to mislead my sheep. And I think about all of these politicians who misuse the word to guide people. When you see Donald Trump abusing, you know, and manipulating the word, because you, you and I both know that he is not a man of God. So I, I always want to know, like, from the perspective of someone who is a pastor and understands the word on that level, how do you? What? What? It, I see you. I see you countering with the scriptures. When they hit you with a scripture, you hit them with one back, and you're like, "Yeah, I got you." How do you feel? How do you explain to people who are being pimped by the word that they're being pimped by the word that that's not the real word? Yeah, um, you know, the in the New Testament, uh, there, there's a there's a there's a passage that talks about the disciples teaching the word. And then it says that the people uh, studied the scriptures 
daily. So in essence, they would go study the scripture so they could compare what they were being taught by the disciples to what they were actually learning in the word. And so I always teach people that you have to search the scripture. You have to learn the word for yourself. Your pastors, your preachers can be your guides. They can be your teachers, but ultimately they need to be proof checked um, as well as anyone else that you should never be so gullible as to just accept what a man or a woman says verbatim or just take them completely at their word. If you haven't built a level of trust in what they say by comparing it to what you have actually learned. And so unfortunately, what happened in religion is people were taught to be ignorant. Um, early on, you know, scripture uh, before the Protestant Reformation, you know, the scripture was in Latin and only learned priests or those who were educated, who knew the language could actually interpret or, or read the scripture. And so the people were at the mercy uh, of the preacher uh, in terms of what the word actually said. Uh, and so Martin Luther and others said, no, we need this translated into our language so people can read the word for themselves. Now people have just become downright lazy um, and and they don't want to search the scripture for themselves and they, and they want somebody else to tell them what to do. But I always teach people, listen, check me. I teach my members, make sure I know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, um, and because they will manipulate and, and like you said, pimp the scripture. They, America has done that since there's been in America. When, whenever you hear these guys tell you, um, Romans 13 says, be subject to governmental authorities. Yeah, but y'all forgot about that scripture for eight years when the government was led by a black man. What happened? Did it disappear out of the Bible for those eight years? All of a sudden, Trump takes office and you're quoting Romans 13 again. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's this constant manipulation you know, of the scripture when they want to use it as a cudgel uh, to beat you over the head, to make you subservient, to make you docile and passive toward tyranny and white supremacy. Um, you know, they often tell me, you're supposed to be a preacher. You're supposed to preach love. What about love? What about love? Hey, what about love? Love works no ill toward its neighbor, but you're working ill toward black and brown people every single day. What the hell are you asking me what about love when I should be asking you what about love? And it also says that whom God loves, he chastens, he disciplines, you know? So there's a component to love that does not allow bad behavior and that disciplines you for that. So this whole notion that somehow when black people respond to their oppression, they're not being loving, That's but right. those that oppress them have the right to do it. It's it's a complete pimping and manipulation of scripture. All day. That's, That's why, why. That's That's why. I'm a fan. Cause you know, I was thinking about um, people tell me stick to jokes. They tell you stick to the scripture. They tell, uh, you know, uh, Colin Kaepernick stick to football. You they, know, they tell LeBron to shut up and dribble. Shut up and dribble, right? Because we are speaking to the systems that are trying to hold our people down. But people like George Carlin can talk about social and political issues, right? Um, the 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 white pastor in Texas that everybody, uh, were, you know, Robert Jeffress. Oh my God! You know, can say whatever he wants to say, right? And so it just so it, the the so the racism is very obvious, right? Because when it comes to us, basically what they're saying is get back in place, mm -hmm. stay in you're, place. You're off code. Uh, you need to get back in your place, stay in your lane. Don't be uppity. Uh, you know, don't talk about the things that we have determined for you. Uh, I'm white and I say so. And you just leave this alone. When you uh, saw those black pastors who laid hands on Donald Trump, what did you think? I mean, I wrote a joke about it, but what did you think? Well, I, I thought, one, when I saw it, I said, y'all need to go back because the exorcism didn't work. Uh, you know, whatever y'all was trying to cast out of him is still in there. Um, but but really, I mean, it, it, it was mind boggling to see so many black pastors who came to this crazy conclusion that Donald Trump was God's anointed. 
was God's chosen vessel. Um, and somehow he was the paragon of virtue who was going to save Christianity and the freedom of religion in this world. And I'm like, how much do you have, how much reality do you have to ignore to come to that conclusion? Um, I, I mean, Barack Obama is married to the same woman, 28 years, two children by his only wife, raised his children in church, uh, worked as an organizer, uh, had his children baptized in church, was active uh, in his local church, um, is a professed Christian. Um, and by all intents and purposes, his life lines up more to what we believe in Christianity uh, than Trump's ever could. But yet they called him the Antichrist. And along comes this guy, married three times, five kids, three baby mamas, porn stars, playboy, bunnies, prostitutes. Um, his best friends are child sex traffickers. Um, he stiffs his uh, workers and doesn't pay his contractors. Uh, he's a pathological liar. Uh, he pays off porn stars, all of this. You ignore and push all that to the side and say, this is a good Christian man. Now, one of the basic bedrocks of Christianity is Romans 10. Romans 10 is the formula for salvation. If you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth, uh, the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There's a confession and belief process, a repentance process that brings you to salvation. That's what we believe, whether we're black, white, Pentecostal, Baptist, whatever it is. That's a cornerstone of salvation. And yet Donald Trump can get up and say, I've never repented, never asked God for forgiveness. I don't have to because I don't make any mistakes. And yet you all want to make him a Christian like there's some loophole or some back door for Donald Trump to get salvation that none of us could use. Everyone else had to go through a process of repentance, but you all are so desperate to bastardize scripture and to pimp the Bible and make Donald a Christian that you're willing to violate the basic tenets of Christianity to call him what he obviously is not. You know, what's interesting to me is that as I observe Donald Trump and his approach to his followers or his cult, whatever you want to call them, Nobody insults them more than he does, right? He insults their intelligence. You know, when it comes to black and brown people, that's my African-American, you know, uh, silk and, what I call a uh, diamond and silk, whatever they, you know. The, the, polyester, yeah. whatever you want to call them. They, they are made, they make a mockery of them. You know, like it is perpetuating the stereotypes of what black women are, knowing that black yeah. women are the most educated group in this country. You know, they are running everything from corporate America to entertainment and then some. And that is your idea of what a good black person is. It's like the Steven from Django. And yeah. I see you going in. Cause I, I, I you know, I, I follow, I follow, and then sometimes I follow suit. How how is it that you deal with those people who come at you? who are, you know, people of your own skin, because I, I get a lot of Latin people telling me that I, I, I need to shut up and I need to stop disrespecting the president and all this other stuff. How do you deal with those people? You know, um, it, 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 Harriet Tubman said um, she would have saved many more uh, people if they just knew that they were slaves. Um, um, there's a contingency of folk who just don't get it, that whether it's Stockholm syndrome or whether it's just internalized racism, internalized oppression that causes this self-loathing, this desire to uh, be accepted and affirmed by their oppressor. Um, we have a contingency of black people who are like that. Now, there are some who are just pimping the system. They understand that if, 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 if I talk bad about black people and um, I say go MAGA and Donald Trump is the greatest thing, then I probably can get some coins. You know, I probably can get a book deal, get a radio show or something like that. Um, 
but there's this contingency of folk um, who are stuck in the sunken place. Um, And, and I deal with them just, just like that. I deal with them by giving them the reality. I was supposed to be doing a debate. um, Actually it's, it's airing tonight at 10 uh, with Vernon Jones, the the legislator from uh, Georgia, who was the Democrat who now has turned Trump surrogate. Uh, And I ran him off the show. Uh, He got upset and, um, and, and got off of the platform. Um, And they come up with the same talking points over and over again. Lowest unemployment for black people, um, HBCUs, and uh, the other one is prison reform. And, And I tear all three of those talking points apart. But there's always going to be black folk like I saw I saw uh, Pastor Daryl Scott in that video, like Daryl Scott, um, like Mark Burns, um, uh, like Candace Owens, like Diamond and Silk. There's always going to be black folk like that, just as there was on the plantation uh, when you had the Stevens and Django and the House Negroes. When uh, Nat Turner had his uprising, it was a black person who told on him. When Denmark Vesey. Um, was planning an uprising in Charleston, South Carolina. It was black folk who told on them. There's always going to be somebody who feels like it's their duty to report it to massa, um, to subvert uh, whatever plan black folks have toward liberation. And that's what you see when you see these folk like like Daryl Scott and Armorosa uh, and the rest of them. And eventually they come trying to run home. Oh yeah. Like an Amarosa, when 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 Massa gets finished with them. Matter of fact, speaking of Diamond and Silk, all of a sudden they spent four years telling us that systemic racism didn't exist. Now they got fired from Fox, and now they're crying racism. So mm-hmm. it always happens when Massa gets done and throws them away like a used hanky. They want to come running back to our community with their tail between their legs and be accepted once again. Because people of color are divine and they're forgiving and they all look at what happened in when the church got shot up. Of course, the first thing that they're going to ask the the black people are, is do you forgive them? They they didn't ask. uh, They don't ask uh, the white, the parents of the white women that that Ted Bundy murdered. Do you forgive him? It's mm-hmm. always, it, forgiveness is always expected of people of color because they know that we honor the word and we really believe that it's real and they they a lot of them take it for granted. I was going to ask you about Herman Cain, like the way Herman Cain was treated after his death. They just he was first of all they tried to deny that he got COVID at the convention, mm-hmm. and then they he was just you know they had the fake account like they they he became a mockery again to them. And I just, and I'm like, you saw, you posted a video of them dancing to Michael Jackson at the convention. And then this man is dead. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, now, now Herman Cain, I mean, the craziness of that whole situation is white folk had thrown Herman Cain away long before now, um, after they got through using him when he ran for president, uh, they had no more use for Herman Cain, but Herman Cain still wanting to be affirmed and accepted by his oppressors. He kept on coming. Um, and so here he was trying to prove something to a Trump, um, denying that masks were necessary. And here's a man who who had stage who had beat stage four cancer? Here's a man who had pre-existing conditions. Here's a man. If anybody should have been quarantining and 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 or wearing a mask or taking all precautions, it should have been Herman Cain. But to show Massa his faithfulness, you know, uh, he decided he was going to go to that Trump rally anyway. He wasn't going to wear his wear a mask. Uh, it, it, they weren't going to socially distance or anything. And nine days later, he's diagnosed with COVID. He never comes out of the hospital. He passes away. And then the entire right uh, gets upset when we when we put the blame squarely on Trump and on that Tulsa rally. Now think about this for a moment. This Tulsa rally is happening 
I believe in July. Mm -hmm. We're six months into this pandemic, six months into the pandemic, after Trump finally puts on a mask and tells people to wear a mask, uh, incidentally, and I, and, I, and I put something up. I said, you know, Trump putting, up a, putting on a mask six months after the pandemic and telling people to wear one is like going to pass out condoms in the maternity ward. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, and he still has this rally, doesn't require masks. This man contracts COVID and dies. Uh, and they will take no responsibility for it at all and condemn anyone who rationally says that this picture right here uh, is an indication that he very well could have caught COVID at this rally, which puts the blame squarely on the back of 46 minus one and his ilk. Um, but, you know, like Donald said, uh, I don't take responsibility for anything. <laughs> so, uh, I like to look at some of the comments because this is one of the things that I did want to ask you about. The MyPillow guy and Ben Carson are creating a vaccine for COVID. <laughs> this is America. You know, Ben Carson um, was a hero of ours. Uh, I remember my, my father um, started the first federally funded uh, health center um, in Western Massachusetts. It's now called Caring Health Center. Actually, the executive director now is my first cousin, Tanya Barber. And at his annual meeting one year, he had Dr. Ben Carson come. Um, we had read uh, the book Gifted Hands. Um, we had been awed by his life story. Uh, and one of the biggest disappointments of all time was to see and hear Ben Carson kowtow to white supremacy and become a white supremacy apologist. And he could have been that way all the time. But but when that was revealed that Carson was a coon, that, that I mean, that was heartbreaking in and of itself. And here's this man who was revered by black people who's standing up calling enslaved Africans immigrants as if they had a as if they came over here on their own volition. Um, to, to hear this man um, uh, basically give these ahistorical perspectives uh, on slavery and on the black experience in America, knowing where he came from, uh, is, 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 is sad. But what it really is, it, it gives you a, a real indication of the job that white supremacy has done on the minds of black people that even someone as brilliant as he is as a neurosurgeon uh, can be manipulated to buy into uh, what white supremacy is selling. It tells you the power of manipulation uh, in this country. And so just to see all of the stuff that Carson does is, is just really sad, it's, it's really sad. It is, you know what I think one of the most interesting things about white supremacy is that white people too are victims of white supremacy, but they don't know it. Because like all of these people across the country who are poor, who wanna identify with Donald Trump so oh, bad, goodness. they don't <laughs> Listen, when I see, when I see a Trump sign or a Trump banner on a porch in a trailer park, Yep. I'm like, that's a classic example of what white supremacy has done to white folks. What it's basically done is, is it's, it's told them that, listen, you can be as poor as they are. You can be poorer than they are. Uh, you can be worse off than most black people. But your whiteness elevates you above them. And so what Trump sells to them is is he resonates with them because of their whiteness, not that, not because of their economic status. You know, when, 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 when you see trailer trash white folk supporting Trump, you know this whole notion that they supported Trump because of economic reasons is, is garbage. Um, they supported him because he tapped into the base racism that exists within this nation um and 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 they've been told 
that yes, I can be as poor or poorer than a black person, but at least I'm not black. Yeah. And my whiteness elevates me above them. And I'm going with Trump, the guy who affirms my whiteness. Yeah. Those false beliefs that immigrants and black people are going to take was rightfully yours when they are the ones taking it away from you on a daily basis. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Every, every single day. And, and, and wealthy, wealthy white America doesn't care about poor white America. No. Um, in order in order for capitalism to work, there has to be a lower class. Um, and they don't care uh, what color that lower class is as long as it sustains their wealth. Um, and these folk really don't understand that if they ever came together with black and brown people, black and brown people, middle class, lower class, white folks, um, um, as a block, uh, then it could be a powerful block to undo a lot of the damage that has been done by wealthy white America. But it's their whiteness that separates them from us that prevents them from coming together with us. And, th and that's sad when white supremacy can cause you to vote against your own best interests. I mean, we literally have white folks who are on Obamacare, who, 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 who have pre-existing condition, who have health conditions that are only being treated because they have health care through the Affordable Care Act, who are running around saying yes to Trump to abolish the Affordable Care Act. And I'm like, fool, what you gonna do when they do that? When you can't even afford to buy health insurance. But their whiteness will cause them to vote against their own best interest. It's sickening. You know, um, I, I wanna I wanted to ask you because I saw you posted a post about uh Kamala today. Sarah Palin. Oh. <laughs> Sarah Palin. So, and I like to properly frame her. Sarah Palin was uh, a member of the GOP, Republican Party from Alaska, um, ran with John McCain, uh, against John McCain's, uh, I guess, will, because it was obvious that he was not uh, in favor of her until he had no choice. They pushed her aesthetic. They showed her red shoes. They showed her lips. They will always talk about how pretty she is, which is what they do with Melania, because there's nothing of substance to promote. So you promote the aesthetic. Mm -hmm. Turns around and then tries to uh, sexualize Kamala Harris, demean her mm. and berate her um, for the very same. Uh, and Kamala is not a, a, a sexualized candidate. Her, her past or her imperfections or whatever it is about her, they don't lead with that with Kamala because Kamala is a force. Right. And I just wanted to speak to that because I think that the over-sexualization and the weaponizing sexual, the, the, the sexual, uh, you know, beings uh, in terms of being black women in America, which is, you know, it, it's so sickening to see her calling her a hoe. Mm. And, and, and it's just very interesting for me to watch um, how these, evangelists, these politicians are weaponizing this against Kamala and to you, Sarah Palin, to me, yeah. is so uh, ludicrous. Well, you know, first of all, whatever you think about Kamala Harris's politics, um, you cannot deny her qualifications. Right. You cannot deny that this is a brilliant, educated, um, articulate, accomplished black woman. You can't take that from her, regardless of what you think about her, her politics. Um, someone said to me, uh, well, Sarah Palin was a well-established uh, politician when she was selected as VP. No, let's, let's, not, let's not remake history. Sarah no. Palin had been the mayor of a small Alaskan town called Wasilla. She had only been the governor of Alaska for 18 months before uh, John McCain selected her as his VP nominee. So a year and a half. Now, Kamala Harris um, was a district attorney uh, for eight years. She was the attorney general for six years. And she was a U.S. senator for three years uh, before being selected as, as VP. So three 
major political offices encompassing 17 years of elected office before she became the vice presidential nominee. There is no comparison in terms of the experience. There is no comparison in terms of her, you know, her Howard education, um, her law degree. So there's no educational comparison. There's no comparison between a Kamala Harris and a Sarah Palin. Uh, as you stated, Sarah Palin was a sexualized candidate. She was, it was all about aesthetics. Mm -hmm. Look at her, look at her. Um, there was nothing intelligent about her whatsoever. And she comes out and she says that she would never prostitute. And that word was used deliberately. She would never prostitute her convictions to get positive media coverage like Kamala Harris is getting. Um, listen, the negative uh, uh, media coverage that Sarah Palin got was not about her prostituting herself. It was about her being herself. Let's just be real. Sarah Palin was dumb as a box of rocks. Here is the lady who is saying that she has, she sat on national TV and said she had foreign policy experience because she could see Russia from her backyard. Here's a lady who could not name one book, could not name one newspaper that she read on a consistent basis because just like Trump today, she didn't read. She knew nothing about how the government worked. She knew nothing about American history. She was a running blooper reel. The only reason you remember Sarah Palin is because of the Saturday Night Live skits, all of the comedic skits from your, your colleagues that happened during that time. Because think about it realistically. How often do we remember the losing vice presidential nominee? If you asked your average friend or associate who was on the ticket with Mitt Romney, most folk couldn't even guess Paul Ryan. If you ask folk who was who was on the ticket um, with Bob Dole, or who was on the ticket with any one of the losing candidates, they, it, they would be hard pressed to come up with a name. They remember Sarah Palin because, like I said, she was a running blooper reel. And then you have this guy out here in Massachusetts who puts up this sign talking about Joe and the hoe, um, referring to uh, Kamala Harris. Um, and my thing is this, it, you know, and someone said to me, well, she slept with uh, Willie Brown and, and he was a married man. I said, oh, so that makes her a hoe? I said, if that's the case, then why are y'all calling Melania this elegant first lady? Because she was a soft porn model who was sleeping with a married man named Donald Trump and doing uh, naked uh, photo shoots in fur on his private jet. Um, so, uh, you know, I said, so if Kamala is a hoe, then Melania is a super hoe. Um, so, you know, y'all need to leave that stuff alone. But of course, they think they can get away with saying about black women what they would never say about white women. At the end of the day, here it is, and I challenge anybody watching this, um, uh, find me the nude pictures of Kamala on the internet. I don't have to do much to, to get a search to find some of the first lady sitting in the White House. That's right. And you know, and, and to further that, like to go into politics, when people say that Kamala is corrupt or that she implemented policies that hurt the black community, I, I I, as a, as a critical thinker, think it's okay to challenge her policies. What I don't think is okay to, is to hold her to a higher standard than all of these white male politicians who have been corrupt and been doing this stuff to our communities since we got here. And so that is, that's the hypocrisy that I can't deal with. It, it's like black women since slavery, feeding people's children, breastfeeding people's children are always expected to be held to a higher standard than everybody else yeah. while not receiving the protections or the benefits of other people. And it, it pisses yeah. me off when it comes to her. You know, I, I have some concerns with some of the cases that were handled by Kamala's office, um, mm -hmm. without a doubt. But at the end of the day, 
she was a prosecutor. That's her that job. was her job. Her job was to send people to jail. Um, as with any attorney general or district attorney uh, across the United States. Um, and so, yeah, I believe that she should be held accountable for those cases that rise to the level of being suspect in terms of how they were handled. And she's got an answer to that without a doubt. But to your point, you're absolutely correct. Uh, listen, Joe Biden is the architect and the father of modern day mass incarceration. Mm -hmm. um, there were times when Republicans would come up uh, with crime legislation that Joe Biden would say was too soft, wasn't harsh enough. Um, he was the one who wanted longer sentencing. He was the one who wanted people kept in jail longer. He was the one who came up with the truth and sentencing aspect of the crime bill that incentivized states in order to uh, build prisons and change laws. People always say, well, you know what? Uh, mass incarceration has more to do with people going to jail in the states. But yes, it was incentivized by the crime bill. The crime bill that said, we will give you billions of dollars to build prisons if you make three strikes laws, if you keep people in prison longer, if you give longer sentencing. So yes, within 10 years of the time that the crime bill was signed, the prison population in America doubled. That is the legacy of Joe Biden. You can't have a problem with Kamala and not have a problem with Joe Biden and a number of other white male politicians. You can't have a problem with her and not have a problem with Bill Clinton who signed it into law. And you can't have a problem with them without having a problem with most of the members at that time of the Congressional Black Caucus who supported the crime bill. You can't have a problem with them without having a problem with Bernie Sanders who voted for the crime bill. So there's a, there's a high level of hypocrisy in terms of the standard that they're holding Kamala to that they won't hold others to. So now I want to ask you about voting, right? Because when people ask me about, um, people criticize me for saying that I'm not voting for Donald Trump, but I still I still show up at the polls because, you know, when I, my grandmother came here, she came right into the civil rights movement. I am a descendant of slaves. Even if my slaves were in Puerto Rico, that property belongs to the United States and it has been the stepchild of Puerto Rico where slavery lived there and we are still suffering. We have a high crime rate. We don't have money. We can't file for bankruptcy. So we are all, all victims of this white supremacy. So when people say to me, well, why are you supporting this ticket? And why are you, both parties have been corrupt. And I, I always say there hasn't been an administration that has favored black people of color, black people in this country. There's just been administrations that have made the situation a little bit better than it was, but none of them have been here to benefit us. So I don't vote for politicians. I vote for issues because the, the truth of the matter is, is that it's bad right now. And people will say, well, how is it going to get better if Joe Biden becomes president? I don't know, but I know that with uh, Donald Trump being president, it's going to get worse. Absolutely. You know, the um, the reality is this. Uh, um, black people are always stuck in a paradigm where we have to vote the lesser of two evils. That, that's the reality of America, where we're consistently trying to choose between Satan and Lucifer. Um, um, and in those instances, unfortunately, you have to make a decision based on which one of these tickets is going to be better for us. And we're not saying that either one of them are going to be pristine. We're not saying either one of them are going to give us what we want or what we deserve. Neither ticket is going to give us reparations. Neither ticket is, is going to give uh, black people um, the relief that they need. Neither ticket is going to pass comprehensive um, police reform. Neither, But the reality is you're stuck with making a choice or else you just decide you're going to 
disassociate yourself from the electoral process and and leave your fate into the hands of other people altogether. But at the end of the day, um, that's not really a bargaining chip um, because you're getting nothing in exchange for that. So at the very least, when 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 you when you're making an exchange, you can make demands on those uh, that you support. And the reality is, you know, I, I completely understood the position of folks who would say, you know what, we've got to stop handing Democrats our votes. Um, and I agree with that because I, I believe the Democratic Party has to come to us better than we're not them. I mean, you've got to offer us something more than it, we're not racist like them. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, this election is too critical to stand on the sideline or to be on the fence because, as Michelle Obama said in her speech, things can get worse. And if we leave this man in office, they will get worse. I submit to you that we are just about living in a dictatorship. Oh, yeah. I mean, the reality is when this man can ignore congressional subpoenas, he can ignore anything Congress says to him. When he has stacked the courts, that's the legacy. The legacy of Mitch McConnell is going to be confirming these judges and changing the face of the judiciary uh, for years to come. He stacked the courts to the point where just about anything that goes to the court system will now favor Donald Trump. So basically he's gotten to a point where he feels like he's above the law. You couldn't, you impeach me, but you couldn't convict me. So you couldn't get me that way. You can't get me through the courts. You can't get me through Congress. So basically his position is I can do what the hell I want to do when I want to do it, however I want to do it. I can sign executive orders that are illegal. I can do whatever I want, and there's nothing you can do about it. We are really on the verge of being no different than North Korea or Russia or any of these other places where these despots really have full control. We've got the image, the illusion of being in a democracy. And if he gets another four years, you will not recognize this republic, this so-called democracy, or whatever you want to call America. It will be completely unrecognizable with four more years of Donald Trump. And mind you, those leaders that you speak of, of North Korea and uh, Russia, are people that he's met with. He's had private meetings that the press was not privy to. And, you know, when you think about Portland and the deployment of law enforcement that were no Miranda rights, what's happening with the post office. Uh -huh. And so funny to me is that those people who hated Bernie Sanders and hate AOC because saying that they're pushing socialism and communism. But what he's doing looks more like a communist country than they are. They are just asking for health care for people and education for people. But they they are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I, it's crazy that uh, um, universal health care, uh, universal education, a Green New Deal, uh, yes. all those things are looked at as socialism, communism, but completely controlling or beating down the press, um, um, having unchecked powers of the executive office, manipulating and using federal agents and the military against U.S. citizens. That's straight up fascism. That's straight up out of the communist handbook that's happening right from the White House. And these same folks that are complaining that people who want, as you stated, health care and education are the communists, but the guy who is really putting the tenets of communism in, uh, in play in America, you're completely ignoring it supporting it, defending it, and justifying it. Mm -hmm. and, and because you're too busy trying to figure out if Kim and Kanye are getting a divorce because a lot of times they've been dumbing us down for a long time. So now we're so, you know, you can watch TV at the gas station, constant stimulus to keep you distracted. You're arguing on Twitter about nobody claiming something while legally they're implementing policies 
to further oppress us. Oh, absolutely. I mean, think about it. Um, We should have a national mandate in terms of wearing masks and other protocols uh, in terms of rapid testing, uh, contract tracing, and all those things to get this um, pandemic under control. We don't have that. Six months into this thing, going on seven months into this thing, we're still arguing about wearing a mask. We've got 170,000 dead people. We've got over 30 million jobs that are lost. Uh, The overall unemployment rate is near 12%. It's about 16% for black people. They keep talking about low black unemployment. No, Uh, first of all, you never lowered it. Um, Barack Obama lowered it from 16.8% to 6.8. It dropped 1% during Trump's whole presidency down to 5.8. It's now above 15%. We've got that going on. We've got 4 million people who have tested positive uh, for COVID. And we've tested less than 10% of the nation. Our economy is in the tank. There are jobs that are not coming back. We've got civil unrest happening all over the nation. The nation is racially polarized. And at this moment in time, when the commander in chief has so many important things that he and his administration should be focusing on, He's taken a case to the Supreme Court to get permission to block his critics on Twitter. I I mean, just it's mind boggling that with everything that's happening in America, that the most important thing to him right now is whether I can block people on Twitter and whether I can get rid of TikTok because people mock me on TikTok. You can't make this stuff up. It's the absolute truth. Uh, and you know, what's funny is that historically we've been so misguided and so miseducated and it's been happening for a long time, right? You, I mean, you, you, you live in a country where uh, people tell black people, you sold yourself into slavery. Mm. I mean, you know, they tell you, they, they tell you history, your history begins at slavery. Mm-hmm. There's a, a and when you go across the world and you talk to you talk about black people all over the world, the story is very similar. It may take place in a different language. In Haiti, it may be French, or you know, you go to the Caribbean and it's Dutch. But nonetheless, the same play that's been taken into play. And so then you wonder why, you know, more people are not out concerned about what is happening to us right now. They're not worried because they don't even know it's happening. Right. And 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 that is, you know, I, I think it was um Donnie Simpson back in the day, I believe it was him, who used to when he and I'm aging myself, uh, but when he used to close a video, so uh he said there there are three types of people in the world. Um, those that make things happen, those that watch things happen, and those that just wonder what happened. Um <laughs> Uh, we are in the third category. Yeah. Unfortunately, most folk are in that third category when something has already happened right up under their nose. And then they wonder, well, when and why and how did that happen? Because when we were slumbering uh, to sleep from, from, from this uh, four-year reality show uh, of, 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 of the American government, we've been watching... Um, the payoff of porn stars and the indictment of uh, child sex traffickers and impeachment hearings and um, Twitter rages and rants. While all that's been going on, the Republicans have been confirming uh, right-wing anti-civil rights judges uh, to federal courts all over the nation. Uh, The vast majority of them, 98% of them, white males um they've been dismantling regulations um sending poison and toxins in the air um making america an unsafe place Uh, they have been getting rid of um protocols uh and policies around um fair housing Uh, that's why that's why trump could brag to suburban 
um, mothers that you don't basically he didn't say it in these words, but he may as well. You don't have to worry about these Negroes moving into your neighborhood anymore because we got rid of the policies that would allow them to build low income housing in the suburbs. All of this stuff is what's happening behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, even though Christopher Ray, the director of the FBI, said in no uncertain terms in, in a congressional hearing that the major terroristic threat to America are white supremacist males. But at the same time, the Department of Justice has categorized a new a uh, category uh, called black identity extremists right. and made them their number one target. So while they're saying, yeah, we know our number one problem are white supremacist males, but we're going to spend our resources targeting so-called black identity extremists like Black Lives Matter and other folks. And basically it's nothing but a modern day COINTELPRO. It's it's the modern day what J. Edgar Hoover had, the counterintelligence program of the FBI, uh, has been reinstituted under a different name. All this stuff is happening behind the scenes. And then we wake up one day and say, how did we get to the point where we were being surveyed by the FBI and we didn't know it, but we should have known it? How did we get to the point where, you know, we couldn't build low income housing over here? But we should have, how do we get to a point where all of the judges, federal judges are these anti-civil rights white men. All this is happening under our nose. And we're going to be that generation that turns around and says, what happened? That's right. That's right. I, I, um, I've been watching and I've been reading and I've been uh, studying and I've been worried because I, I, I look at it and I'm like, why is it that no one, we are not up in arms about what is happening in terms of our democracy? Because historically, our time is up, right? Democracies only last but a certain amount of time. And I just, I think that the play has always been to keep us distracted, to dumb us down so that they can take action about what they're doing. Because at the end of the day, this is about the haves and the have nots, right? This is not about, you know, race. And, and listen at those babies that were taken uh, from the the immigrants who are now, thousands of them are missing. You know, that's a human trafficking ring. Like, And when you say stuff like that, you are being extreme. But, you know, as we come to a close of the show, I, what I really, I, I always wanted to ask you this because it, it, it feels for me um, primal when people ask me why am I radical? Why am I so militant? Why am I so extreme? And to think that it is extreme to want justice for my people and equality and to be treated like human beings. Why is that radical? I want you to answer the same question because I know people ask that of you. I see them on Twitter. They call you militant. How, how, how do you respond to that? Because I, I didn't have a particular way to say it. I look at it as a as a badge of honor um i said to someone years ago um they called me a rabble rouser and i said well you know what i'm in pretty good company um i said uh moses was a rabble rouser uh, jesus was a rabble rouser um whether people believe it or not mlk was a rabble rouser malcolm was a rabble rouser denmark vesey and nat turner uh, and Sojourner Truth and Ida B. Wells uh, were rabble rousers. Um, the reality is what people try to do um, is they try to sanitize and domesticize Black history and present you back your historical figures in a manner that is unrecognizable. And so when people say to me, you know, you really need to be more like Dr. King, Dr. King preached love. Dr. King, I said, well, Dr. King said, no longer could I condemn uh, the black boys in the ghetto throwing Molotov cocktails without condemning the greatest purveyor of violence in the world today, my own government. Uh, Dr. King said uh, that he understood that the riot was the language of the unheard. Dr. King said, uh, when he was planning the second march on Washington that he never lived to see come to fruition. 
He said, when we come to Washington, we're coming to get our check. He was talking about reparations. Um, there's a side to Dr. Dr. King said, um, the unfortunate reality is that the vast majority of white people are racist, whether consciously or unconsciously. That's a Dr. King quote that you will never hear because um, that's the side that they want to sanitize and they want to wipe away and make you think didn't exist. The Jesus they want you to think existed uh, is the one who fed the 5,000, the one who healed the lepers, the one who said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy mind, thy soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. They don't want to hear about the Jesus that rebuked the scribes and the Pharisees and the hypocrites, that called them a brood of vipers, that said that they were snakes, that said they were just like graveyards, uh, nice and clean on the outside, but inside stinky and full of dead men's bones. They don't want to hear about the Jesus that went into the temple and flipped the tables over and grabbed the whip and whipped the money lenders and those that were taking advantage of the people out of the temple and said, my house shall be called the house of prayer. They don't want to talk about the radical liberating Jesus. They want to sanitize folk and then tell you, you are now to be like these folk in the image that we have created for you, for them. I choose to be in the image of what they really were, the holistic individuals, the ones that could love and cuss you out, <laughs> the, yeah. the, ones, the, 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 the ones that could hurt you or heal you. Um, the ones that would stop at nothing to see the liberation and the freedom of their people. And that's what they tried to do to Nat Turner, one of my heroes. They took Nat from plantation to plantation and he preached a white and nice gospel and told slaves to obey their masters. And then Nat had an epiphany one day and he realized that God did not want his people to be in bondage. And he read the scripture with new eyes. And he led that slave revolt basically based on his understanding of scripture that, that, that violence against wickedness is not sin, is not wrong. That thou shalt not kill was not the proper transliteration. It was thou shalt not murder. But if you kill in self-defense for your liberation and your freedom, it's justified. And so what they want to do is keep you in bondage and tell you that it's wrong to fight against your bond. So I choose to be radical. I choose to be militant because I understand that we are never to be subservient to evil. And I close with this. One of my all time heroes, the father of modern day liberation uh, theology, the late uh, Reverend Dr. James Cone, put it like this, that if you're going to be authentic in in your Christianity or in your theology. He said, any authentic theology must affirm that God is on the side of the oppressed. That's the side I choose to be on. And the only way to liberate the oppressed is to be militant against the evil that oppresses them. And that's it right there. That's the word. So when people are, people can watch you uh, on digitally, they can watch your services digitally. Yeah, they can watch us Sundays at 11. Uh, I do my Monday radio broadcast, and we also uh, stream that on Mondays at 9. And then I do a Thursday evening at 10 p.m. Uh, broadcast as well. Okay. And where can people find you? You can find me on all social media at Talbert Swan. Talbert Swan. And um, you will you come back? Absolutely. Would love to. Yeah, I need to. I need to uh, we, got, we got to go back uh, closer to the election. Yeah, uh, I voice you and uh, and Karen have to come back together. Um, so I want to say thank you for you being here. I think you're an important voice. A lot of people uh, were saying that they, when they saw the word bishop, they were going to click off and then they listened to you speak and that they're glad that they stayed. And I'm glad that they stayed, too, because that's the problem with evangelism and how it's been hijacked. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 they assume, uh, my friend uh, uh, Bishop uh, Darren Moore said, part of the problem in black churches is people come into a black church and they see uh, Martin Luther King in the vestibule and they see Malcolm X in the pastor's office and then he mounts the pulpit and they hear Joel Osteen or Robert Jeffress. 
Um, and and that's that's the problem of what's happening in our church. When you mount, when you come into Spring of Hope, you ain't gonna hear Joel Osteen or Robert Jeffers. Trust me. Well, and I just think it's important for people to understand that this show is about um, including all of our voices, and we have a spectrum. We're not a monolith, and it is important for evangelism to have your face and your voice because a lot of it is used against us, and we need you on the front lines for us because you are actually speaking on behalf of our truth and uh, and for our humanity and equality and our liberation because we ain't free until we are free absolutely you got something coming on hbo when oh we, i'm working on it. it'll be next it comes out next year hbo okay. yeah so but you know I'm, I'm it's gonna i'm shooting it in new york so you'll get an invitation so you and your family can be there i would love to i appreciate you so much thank you for being here today all right thanks for having me all right i'll see you later yeah.